I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 20 for our text this evening. I'd like to read one or two verses from Luke chapter 20, beginning to read from verse 45, and then going in briefly to chapter 21. So if we can read together from Luke chapter 20 at verse 45. Let us read and hear the word of God. Then in the audience of all the people he said unto his disciples, Beware of the scribes, which desire to walk in long robes, and love greetings in the markets, and the highest seats in the synagogues, and the chief rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses, and for a show make long prayers. The same shall receive greater damnation. And he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a certain poor woman casting in thither two mites. And he said, Of a truth I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast into the offerings of God. But she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. Amen. <clears throat> and may the Lord uh, be pleased to bless to us the public reading of his word. <clears throat> we are, as a congregation, we're going through Luke's gospel and we've reached to this part in the gospel of Luke. And tonight I wish to focus upon these verses that were read earlier to you. And the title I want to give to the meditation is that the Lord sees. The Lord sees. And there are two things that have been highlighted here for us. And I simply want to focus tonight on these two matters that have been drawn to our attention. The Lord sees, and more than that, as the reading will tell us, he not only sees, but he takes notice. And we are to be reminded about this. In a general sense, we're never out of the sight of God. God is omnipresent. What does that mean? It means he's always present everywhere. We cannot possibly grasp this with our finite minds. Of course, we have to accept what God has revealed in his word concerning himself. But this is a truth. This is one of God's attributes. He is omnipresent. We might say to help us grasp it, not fully understand it, but grasp it, that his center is everywhere and his circumference is nowhere. Now, if you have time, you might think on that. His center is everywhere and his circumference is nowhere. And if we can, in some sense, get our minds around that, it will certainly help us to have high and lofty views of our great God. 
the one that we come to worship and to adore. Now here, as we said, we have been going through this gospel and we've been looking at the last two or three weeks, we've been looking at the questions that have been thrown up at the Lord Jesus by various people, by the, the leaders, by the Sadducees, by the Pharisees and by the scribes. Now these questions were not genuine questions. They were not genuine in the sense that they didn't really want an answer. What they really wanted to do was to trip the Lord Jesus up in his words and that they might use that as an occasion to bring him down. But as we noticed, the Lord was able to answer them. He was able to answer their questions and he was able to silence them. And having done with that question and answer session, what do we notice here? He speaks to his disciples in verse 45 of chapter 20. Then in the audience of the people. So he's in front of everybody. But he's aiming his message. He's aiming what he wants to say to his disciples. To those who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first thing that we want to notice here is that he is noticing and warning about hypocrisy. That's what he's warning his disciples, his so-called followers. He's not speaking to the scribes. He's not speaking to the Pharisees or the Sadducees who were against him. He is speaking to his followers because he wants to warn them about this terrible, terrible sin. And what we have to notice, friends, whether we like it or not, because we're all human, we've all fallen in Adam, this is a sin that will be in every one of us. This is something that will manifest itself in us and we will never completely eradicate this sin. We will have to fight against this sin. So none of us can say, well, this is not for me. This is for every single one of us. That's why he's speaking in a loving and a gracious manner to his own disciples. He wants them to be aware of this. And he wants them not to be like the scribes or like the Sadducees or like the Pharisees. He wants them to be like the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who did everything without any kind of hypocrisy whatsoever. He was the only person that knew nothing of this sin. And therefore, in the audience of all the people, he said unto the disciples, Beware of the scribes, which desire to walk in long robes, and love greetings in the markets, and the highest seats in the synagogues, and the chief rooms at feasts. What's he talking about? Well, they are simply out to make a show. They want to make a show of their religion. They want everyone to notice them. They want everyone to take notice of them, and by their demeanor, by their manner, by their speech, by what they do, they are to be ones who are to be looked up to. This is what they want. They want to make a show, a pretense. And he is warning his disciples against this. 
we would notice, friends, first of all, in a general sense, here is Jesus speaking out against dignities. If you're familiar with your Bible at all, we're not going to quote it, but you will note, no doubt, in Jude chapter 8 there, there we are warned not to speak out, not to speak evil of dignitaries. Now the religious leaders of the day were indeed dignities. They were notable individuals. And this is something that we're not to do ourselves. But the Lord Jesus Christ was able to do this. He was able to speak as he did. Why? Well, ultimately, he was able to do this because he knew their hearts perfectly. He was able to read their hearts. They may well be able to pull the wool over other people's eyes, but not the eyes of the Lord Jesus. Being God in the flesh, he knew into their hearts, and he was able to call them for what they truly were. And I say this because... We cannot do this. We cannot do this. You and I, we are to look to ourselves. We are to examine our own hearts, our own motives, our own ways. We're not to look at our neighbor. We're not to look at our friend. We're not to look at someone else. We are to turn the magnifying glass upon our own lives. We cannot do what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Because he possesses perfect knowledge, he was able to say these things lovingly, graciously, truthfully, honestly. We couldn't do this. What is hypocrisy, friends? What is it? Well, it is pretending to be something you're not. It is making a performance, a hypocrite, as far as religion is concerned, is one whose religion is all outward. It's all for show. It's all to win the admiration of men. Or as we read in Matthew chapter 6, it's all to be seen of men. A religious person who is a hypocrite will pray in order to win the approval and the applause of those who hear. He will not have an eye towards heaven. He will not be seeking to please the living God with his prayer. Instead, he'll be looking for the approval of those who are in the vicinity. A hypocrite is one who fasts and to show that he or she fasts, they make it obvious. They don't do it quietly. They do it so that they might win the applause and the approval of man. It is like living a double life. It's like being an actor. You know, an actor has various roles. He might have many roles in his acting career. But when he gets home and when he kicks off his shoes... He is not the, the character he plays in the play or in the TV drama. He is someone completely different. Now you can expect that in an actor. That's his job. But a Christian is to be real. And our Christianity is to be absolutely real. 
What we are, we are to be real before the living God. It's not living a double life. I wish I'd remember. I did see a quote. And I believe it was from D.L. Moody. Now some of you might raise your heckles when we talk about D.L. Moody. Because there are many things that we might not agree with D.L. Moody's um, methods and theology. But there are many things that he said which were good. And as someone would say to me, when you're considering people's lives and their ministry, take the good and reject the bad. And I believe the quote that I'm hoping to quote to you came from D.L. Moody. And it's concerning about whether a person is a Christian or not. And D.L. Moody said something like this. If it's a man, for instance, go, go and ask his wife. You'll know if he's a Christian if you ask his wife. Don't ask him what he believes. Don't ask him about his profession of faith. Don't ask him about whether he accepts the Westminster Confession of Faith or not. Ask his wife. She will know. And of course, vice versa, it could be said of the Christian wife. Is she a Christian? Ask her husband. Why? Because, friends, at home, that's what we really are. We can come to the house of God on occasions like this. We can meet up for fellowship with fellow Christians. And we can put on a veneer. We can put on a face. We can use the right language. We can be appropriate. But it's when we get home. It's when we take off our jackets. It's when we put our feet up. It's when we move about with our family in our home. That's what determines whether we are a Christian or not. And we want to ask ourselves, therefore, ask ourselves, examine ourselves, is our faith real? Has it affected my home? Has it affected my fireside? Has it affected my conversation in home? That's what matters. Because, friends, we are to realize this, whether we like it or not, Christ hates hypocrisy. He absolutely loathes hypocrisy. And therefore we are to avoid it. You can go through the New Testament. You can look at the various people that the Lord Jesus encountered. And he encountered many people. And was, is it not true that of many people he encountered, he expressed love towards them? You could think of Zacchaeus, that rich tax collector. Zacchaeus, come down, he says. Today I must be in your house, for salvation has come to your house today. Here was Zacchaeus, a wicked man, but yet the Lord Jesus Christ loved him. What about the penitent thief? You couldn't get a more wickeder man. He was more than a thief, friends, because you would never be crucified if he was simply a thief. He was a murderer. He took part in uh, insurrection along with Barabbas, we believe. And therefore he was a wicked individual. But what happened? He turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. He turned to him. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. 
What did Jesus say? Well, you know exactly what Jesus said. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The Lord lavished his love upon him. What about Matthew the publican, another tax collector? What about him? There he was at the receipt of custom. There he was counting his money. There he was like an accountant, seeing how much money he made. And Jesus says to him, follow me. What happens? Up he gets. He begins to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. What am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say, friends, is these people, they were not perfect by any manner of means. But they encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they turned to him, Jesus Christ received them. They were real. They were genuine. They had faults. They had failings yet. But they were not hypocrites. That's what I'm trying to say. Saul the persecutor. Saul, Saul, why dost thou persecute me? Saul was out to create havoc in the church. He wanted to destroy the church. He wasn't a hypocrite. He was a persecutor. And the Lord had mercy upon him. You remember that lady in Simon's house who poured the oil on his feet and washed his feet with her hair. She had been a lady of note. She wasn't a hypocrite. Jesus received her. What am I trying to say? What is Jesus telling us here? He is warning us again, friends, of the dangers of hypocrisy. Whatever we are in our Christianity, let us be real. Let us be genuine. Let us be true. We may have little faith, but oh, if that faith is real, it's genuine, it's saving. Let it be real. Our repentance may be little, but let it be real. That's what's required. And away with all this hypocrisy, for the Lord will not have it. And he gives a very, very strong warning here. He goes on in verse 47, Which devour widows' houses, and for a show make long prayers. There's the actions of the hypocrites. And he goes on to say, The same shall receive greater damnation. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the end. He's talking about that great day of judgment. When every one of us will receive our eternal sentence. And he is telling them, these religious people who make a profession, but they're not real. He is telling them they shall receive greater damnation. I cannot understand this, friends. I cannot Hell is a terrible place, a terrible place, but there are degrees of punishment. This is what he's telling them. The same shall receive greater damnation. This is not my word. This is the word of the Son of God. This is the word of the Son of God who came from heaven to seek and to save that which was lost. And this is the word of the Son of God who's telling us this evening that he hates hypocrisy and he's warning us against it. 
and we must fight it and crucify this sin and be assured if we will not deal with it, the same shall receive greater damnation. Well, as I said, I have two things to say tonight. First one, he sees hypocrisy. Secondly, friends, we notice here that he sees faith. He sees faith, and we find it in these first four verses that we've read from chapter 21. And he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, Of a truth, I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast in unto the offerings of God. But she of our penury hath cast in all the living that she had. What is the Lord Jesus Christ telling us here? Well, he's reminding us again, he sees everything. And what he's seen here is real saving faith in practice. Some commentators would draw a link between verse 47, talking about the scribes who devour widows' houses, and the fact that this lady here give all she had for that day to the work of the Lord. And they would say there's a link, and they would say that this is something that the scribes did. The scribes, in their sense, would twist the arms of the poor widows, and they would encourage the widow to give everything to the cause of the Lord. Now, there may well be some element of truth in that. And it may well be that this is something the scribes did. They would go to widows who are vulnerable people and they might say to them, well, you need to be giving more to the Lord. You need to be giving more. You're not giving enough. And that may well be something that they did. However, we're inclined not to accept that link. Why so? <coughs> well, because the Lord commends what the widow did. The Lord commends her actions. <coughs> and here we have the Lord Jesus noticing that there was rich men and they were casting into the various treasure boxes that would be there. And they were giving out of their wealth. Now he's not criticizing what these rich men did at all. Instead, he wants to commend what the poor widow did. <coughs> now, the poor widow, we're told here, she gave in two mites. I don't understand. We are told has she given two mites. <laughs> two mites. And the Greek is a lepton. That's the Greek word. It's a lepton. And it is the smallest currency that they had at that time. As we have said before, a normal manual laborer would get one penny a day, or one denarius a day. 
Well, a lepton is one twenty-eighth. No, a lepton is one one hundred and twenty-eighth part of a penny. It's a very, very small part. We don't have anything in our currency like it. I think I can vaguely remember a farthing. Well, it's far, far less than a farthing. <coughs> it was one one hundred and twenty-eighth part of a penny. She gave two of these into the work of the Lord. We would say she virtually gave nothing. But that's not what the Lord Jesus Christ says at all. He notices what she gave. And she commended, and he commended her. For she gave everything she had to the Lord's cause. This is what she did. And this would encourage us, friends. Because the Lord does see everything. He sees what we do. He sees what we say. He sees how we use, how we use our, our financial resources. How we use our time. How we use our talents. How we use everything that he has given to us. And maybe we don't have much. And maybe we think we cannot do very much. But here we find that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he saw these two mites going in, he said, he noticed, he commended that she had given more than these rich men who had cast in out of their riches. And what this is telling us, friends, is that if we want to know the spiritual temperature of our spiritual lives, it can be gauged by what we give. There's no question about it. We look to our purses and we look to our wallets and there we can determine whether we've got grace or not. No gifts, no grace. No giving, no grace. Here this poor lady had virtually nothing. But she wanted to further the cause of the Lord. She wanted to contribute to the Lord. What was she showing? She was demonstrating that she had faith. That she had faith in the living God. She was relying upon this living God to provide for her. And therefore she gave willingly. You know, we have to remind ourselves that Christ's work and cause does not depend on our money. It does not depend on our money. The Lord Jesus Christ said, and we love to quote it and to remind ourselves of this promise, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that's what he's saying, I'll build my church. I don't need ministers, I don't need elders, I don't need people. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And he doesn't depend upon us. We depend upon him. That's true. But it is also true. He is pleased to test the reality of your grace 
by allowing you to help him. That's what we're taught here. And this lady who cast in everything, she was showing that she was on the Lord's side. And therefore your giving, or your lack of it, is a spiritual thermometer. It reveals the reality of your faith. A poor lady, she gave everything. And this was remind us about what Moses said to the people before they went into the promised land as they come out of Egypt. He tells them concerning one of the feasts, Exodus chapter 23 verse 15, Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread, Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded thee, in the time appointed of the month, Abib, for in it thou camest out from Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. None. This is what the Lord requires. This lady here, sets a wonderful example. She gave willingly to the work of the Lord. And Christ notices it. He approves. He sees. He notices. He commands. It's important to note that we don't give financially or from our talents, from our time and from our opportunity in order that we might receive blessing. That's not why we do it. That should not be the reason. But you will never find anyone, you will never find anyone who gave too much to the Lord, who ever lost out. The Lord is no man's debtor. We know that multitudes will go into debt. And you can be sure. Most of them will never have given a penny to the Lord. Some may have given something. But you can be sure most of them have never given anything. And you will find that anyone who gives, and we're not simply talking here about financially giving, we're talking here about giving what's rightly due unto the Lord, from our time, from our talents, from our opportunities, they will never be the poorer. This reminds us of what Jesus said earlier on about the cup of cold water. He was talking about his disciples. And if they will receive the disciples, and if they will give a disciple a cup of cold water, they shall in no sense lose out. I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. We might think then that little things are of no importance. 
This text here would tell us completely different. No doubt the people round about saw the lady giving what she gave. They thought nothing of it. Jesus thinks everything of it. She gave what she could. And something that is very small in the eyes of the world can be of great value in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord sees. He takes notice. He's all around. We can hide nothing from him. The Lord sees then. He hates hypocrisy. And he loves those who will give to him. And ultimately what the Lord looks for is for ourselves. Because this lady had faith. She was trusting in the Lord. She had that relationship with the Lord. And once she had that relationship with the Lord, then everything that she had belongs to the Lord. And this is what we are to give to the Lord first and foremost. It is ourselves. The Lord give of himself for his people. His people are to give themselves to the Lord. And once that relationship is right, all these other secondary matters, and they are secondary matters, will fall into place. There won't be a problem giving him time. There won't be a problem in coming to the house of God. There won't be a problem in worshipping him. There won't be a problem in serving him. There won't be a problem in trying to advance his cause and kingdom. Everything will be in perspective. First, let us give ourselves to the Lord. Let us be found in Christ. Let us have that glorious, wonderful relationship whereby our sins are forgiven and we are right with God. <coughs> and then all of these other things will fall into place. The Lord sees. Amen. And may the Lord bless his word to us.